Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today's guest is Christina Feraldenka. She is a senior partner, actually a partner with HI Executive Consulting, which is a search firm here in uh, North America where she heads the practice for retail and consumer goods. Christina, welcome to The Caring Economy. Thank you, Toby. It's an honor to be part of your wonderful podcast. Um, we and I go back many years um, as a candidate and as a friend, so it's just so nice to reconnect. And, and thank you, Toby, for creating this platform. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, and just a full disclosure, yes, we've worked on searches together. You've worked on searches with my husband, Harlan Bratcher, and we've remained friends and colleagues through those years. And um, as a sort of... Uh, wannabe recruiter earlier in my career, it's a space I'm particularly fascinated in and uh, my audience is because frankly, um, we can be leading in our own companies, but we always have to have our eyes open for what other opportunities, either for ourselves or for others might be out there. So I, I really value my relationship with the executive recruiting community. Um, so it's, it's really wonderful to have you here today, Christina. Thank you. It's so nice to hear that as well. As cliche and trite as it sounds, it's a it's a very small world, and as much as we can do to help each other, um, it it always pays back as well. So. Okay. Yeah, we'll um we'll talk about the state of recruitment in a bit, but and the role technology has had in it and so forth. But I thought we might start with a little bit about your personal journey. Um, how did you get into the space, and maybe even more basic than that. Uh, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? How did you find this impulse toward executive recruiting? Toby, thank you. I love that question because that's a question I always ask candidates. It's where where are you from? Where were you born? Because I believe so much um, that who someone is it is paramount. And you know, once someone is helicoptered into an organization who he or she is, is the, most, is, is the most important, in addition to checking the boxes and being able to do the job. But when yeah. someone is able to, to answer where they're from and, and cite in, important people that have helped them throughout their career is really important and something that, and something that we look for. Uh, so I was born on Long Island um, in a town called Setauket uh, near Stony Brook and, and Port Jefferson. So out in Suffolk County on, on Long Island. Um, I then went to, I've always, I always like to think of myself as independent. Um, I then went to, and uh, competitive with myself. I then went to boarding school in New Hampshire called Phillips Exeter Academy. Um, had a, a wonderful experience there. Um, and then I went to college. I went to Wesleyan uh, University in Connecticut where I now live as, as well in Connecticut. Um, and had, had a really wonderful experience at, at Wesleyan, um, which highlighted for me throughout my career, um, really the importance of diversity and inclusion. Um, and, and that was a big takeaway from my experience at Wesleyan, which is a very diverse school. Yeah, um, I know there are several the Wesleyans in the, sorry to interrupt, several oh, no, go ahead. states, but um, the one that's top of mind for most is the Connecticut uh, Wesleyan. And, as I recall, incredibly progressive in its um, mission and its founding. Incredibly progressive. And, and that was a big attraction to me. Um, so had I majored in English um, at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. And then, you know, when you graduate with a liberal arts degree, um, 
you know, with an English major, I, I thought the next natural step was to be a lawyer. So I was preparing for the LSATs. I became a paralegal at a top New York City corporate law firm, Davis Polk and Wardwell. And um, throughout my time as a paralegal that first year after gradu graduating from college, um, I thought this was just my path. Um, I had filled out my applications. I had taken the LSAT. And I remember in Midtown bringing my applications to a post office and stopping myself in my tracks and thinking, Christina, you can't sum up in one sentence why you're actually doing this other than this is what you think you need to do. <laughs> and so I, it was at that moment, it was a come to Jesus sort of moment. Uh, I decided not to pursue uh, law school and then speaking with my own um, professional and personal network, I found executive search at a very young age. Um, so I began my career and very fortunate to have had some great conversations that really led me to executive search. So I began my career, had great mentor mentors at CT Partners, which is formerly known as Christian and Timbers. Yes. And yes, and there I was uh, just a researcher uh, before LinkedIn, where we were uh, were uh, finding people who it was a little different than what was than than today. Um, and I was in the financial services practice and the retail practice, and, and I helped I helped all I helped all the practices and in, in areas and had incredible mentors there. Um, one one man that stands out um, is Paul Gross. Who then went over to Hydric and Struggles and just was very strategic and methodical and gave me an excellent foundation to how to conduct executive search. So very grateful for my time there. And then I went to Goldman Sachs. Um, while I always knew in my heart that executive search is where I wanted to be and, and have a strong career, um, there was a part of me that felt at that time in my career, I just wanted to see the other side of search. What are my clients doing on the other side? Um, how is HCM structured at other organizations? Um, I wanted to see the other side and understand truly the pain points of my clients and, and, how, uh, and, and how it worked. Uh, so I joined Goldman Sachs and I was there for, for almost, almost two years um, and had, had a wonderful experience there doing analyst hires to managing director, partnering with search firms uh, on, on, on those big Goldman Sachs hires. So it, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. Um, but then part of me had always, I knew I was going to go back to executive search. Um, so Maxine Martins, um, who is the CEO of Martins and Heads, a global boutique search firm, uh, reached out to me and said, I, I'm looking for uh, a director of business development, uh, a mini me, a, a number two. Can can you support me? Um, so I then went there, and you know, coming from financial services and technology, I truly uh, didn't think fashion and consumer um, I, was something for me. I, I had pigeonholed myself as a financial services executive recruiter. Um, and then she said, no, please, I think you would be excellent at this. Uh, please, please come and shadow me for a couple of days. I did. Um, and Toby, as you can attest, <laughs> people in the fashion world are quite entertaining, interesting, diverse. Um, and, and I was sold on the consumer and retail world. 
Yeah, and Maxine is a powerhouse. So that's quite a compliment for her to reach out to you and to say, try and convince you to come on. So kudos to you. She is. I give her a lot of credit. Um, she has built um, over the years an excellent business, someone who I have learned a lot from. Um, so a significant amount of time there. I mentioned it was a global uh, firm, so on roles in Hong Kong and Paris and London, New York, uh, Texas, uh, LA, everywhere. So the coast and everywhere in between as, as well. Um, and now I'm, uh, I'm leading the consumer and retail practice at HI Executive Consulting, which was formerly uh, known as Heads International. And here I am today. I have a family, two wonderful girls. Uh, we live in uh, near Stamford, Connecticut in a town called Darien. And um, yeah, so, so this is where, where I am today. <laughs> that's, my, that's my career <laughs> so far. Uh, today we have Christina Farabanka on The Caring Economy. She is a partner with HI Executive Consulting and she leads the consumer and retail practice for North America in this robust executive search firm. Christina, two times in your last statement, your opening comments uh, struck me. Um, one, when you were going to the post office with your law school applications, and two, when you were thinking about um, going to the client side from Goldman Sachs. You sound incredibly, and actually, and then when you applied for boarding school at Phillips Exeter, you sound like you are incredibly tuned into your gut. And I wonder if you would agree with that and how you would coach others to listen to that where they might not want to hear that. That th Thank you, Toby, for picking up on that. I think it is so important to tune into your gut. And I think everyone is able to do that. It's sometimes getting rid of the outside voices to really, truly listen to yourself and follow your internal compass of what's important. Um, you know, for, for me, I just knew deep down, I went to boarding school. My parents didn't attend college. Um, so I, and they finished high school, but um, education was always something very, was something very important to them. It's something that they always wanted to, for their, their daughters to have. So um, I'm, the, I'm, the first, I'm the first in my whole family uh, to have gone and graduated fr from college, which is a huge accomplishment. So I always felt at a very young age um, that uh, I, had, I had a clear goal in mind of what I wanted to accomplish in life and just made, and I, I think I've always stuck to that goal throughout time and every decision that I've made, I always, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I always say, will this help me ach achieve my goal? Mm -hmm. And what I love about executive search is that I'm able to help other people achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of thinking outside the box and um, finding, finding the candidates who may not have the exact title, but share the same philosophy, the same work ethic, and are really able to, to, make, to make a difference. Um, mm -hmm. And a company, um, so. Which is a great contribution in, in, in search. I can think of you coming out of Wesleyan and I went to a small liberal arts college in Virginia, Hampton City College. And I think we get socialized at the undergraduate level if we go to college to get on certain tracks like business or finance. Or law, yeah. Law, right, and, 
And yet that doesn't really get to the purpose piece. And that's what I like to explore in my, in my podcast, in my book, and I think you do in your uh, excellent recruiting. How do you help someone discover his or her purpose and go for it? Um, so you're doing it. it. It's not something that you had probably a career counselor tell you at Wesleyan, but yet it all makes sense in the rearview mirror, right? Here you are just sailing yeah. it. Um, yeah, and executive search, we have a really important role, right? So to, for, to help people reach their full potential in their careers. But Toby, this is where, and um, I think that we connect um, on a deep level as well, is the role of, of executive search firms and the importance they play in the diversity and inclusion uh, conversation. It's a real, I view it as a real social um, responsibility that we have as, as, um, as, talent, as, as, as talent advisors. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, I, I think it's not, it's, I don't mean to diminish it as flavor of the month because it's not. I think that the DE&I, the diversity, equality, inclusion work is not only here for stay, to stay, but also it, 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 it's got to be the priority. I would even submit more than the sustainability piece. So, um, oh, completely agree. I mean, not to take away sustainability yes. is a, is is a huge conversation. Very very important. That's not going away, right? But uh, DNI is at the top of the agenda for all of our clients um, during all client pitches, client interactions, throughout the search process. Um, you know, internal talent and HR functions today are increasingly having diversity embedded into their personal KPIs, so how which you, incentivize oh, them to increase the number of diverse talent entering their organizations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how are you, um, you get a, someone knocks on your door and says, hey, Christina, I want you guys to do a search for me for say a C-suite executive. Um, is it their HR person that has already filled out the job description and you just go out and fill it? Or do you have to help them get to that point of realization that, wow, you really need some diverse candidates here? I think that's, that's a great question, Toby. I think it's a combination of both. So I, it's very fair to say everyone is, is very focused on driving systemic change and making their businesses as diverse as possible. I love that McKinsey research that um, shows companies with ethically diverse leadership are 33% more likely to outperform on profitability and 21% more likely to have above average uh, profitability with gender diverse leadership teams. Um, mm -hmm. So the fact the research is there, <laughs> the more diverse, I think the, the better the better a company um, for sure um, in, in many ways. But as talent advisors with some of the world's most important businesses in fashion, in consumer, in retail, um, we also, so yes, um, the HR of, of, the, of the brand of the company has a responsibility, but we also have a responsibility to do all we can to contribute to better realizing uh, gender balance as well. Um, you know, there, 2020 has showed us this need is greater than ever before having a diverse uh, workforce. There's no silver bullet, right, to driving this systemic change and creating a more diverse work, work, workforce. 
Um, but when an executive search firm works with a brand I, and is focused on driving systemic change, I do truly believe and have seen with many clients um, that it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, from our side, from an executive search side, we really challenge our clients. I have to say, we strive to present gender, a gender balanced candidate shortlist. Um, we discuss potential lobbins and areas that the brief can flex a bit, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, we challenge unconscious bias in practices. Um, I think we also involve female stakeholders in the interview process as well. Um, and we really agree with the client at the, when we begin the search, you know, what are your specific tar targets for diversity on the long list and short list? So really work with our, our clients, involve more diverse female stakeholders in the interview process as well, which I think is very important. Uh, absolutely. Um, how do you, there must be some delicate conversations that have to be had though. I mean, I could imagine you could have a potential client who is led by all old straight white men and they say they want diversity and diversity them might mean a white woman. And that's, you know, that's a step in the right direction, but is that enough? Exactly. How do you mm -hmm. have those conversations? Yeah, well, with clients uh, with that sort of representation, they're very well aware. So, and I found um, the conversations to be very natural, organic, and something that companies who fall into that bucket are, are well aware of. So again, they come to us knowing that we will also challenge our candidates, um, challenge ourselves, um, to increase the number of females and diverse candidates at each stage mm -hmm. of the search process to drive more place placements. Um, so, you know, I think challenging our candidates as well uh, to sell themselves and their experience as optimally as possible is really important. So as a search firm, we have a great role. We can help candidates sell themselves as well when they go to a more traditional company and it's all white white men you know they're they're really able to think outside the box and see the potential um of, of candidates as well um and you know it's just we have to really just challenge ourselves we have a huge role to be as as talent advisors um you know, am I having enough touch points with the candidates I'm managing? Um, do I, am I really thinking outside, outside of the box or can I flex the parameters of the job description a bit more um, to bring additional high performing options to the client? Um, and, you know, throughout the whole process, we're really making great strides, um, but all we can do, um, our role is to continue to champion diversity and really raise awareness on this important process of uh, gender equality, how to create more female talent. And um, it's a huge role, <laughs> um, but uh, we, I, I feel very up, up for the challenge and it's, it's fun to flex thinking on, on the client's part as, as well. I, I like that concept of flex thinking. I think that's kind of how we can help those who are less inspired to take the steps to at least take some 
little steps forward and then that can lead to bigger things. Um, yeah, and companies are definitely, are definitely, um, you know, are, are aware of this. I love what Goldman Sachs, um, they came out, you know, they're, they're no longer going to do IPOs for companies with all male boards, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we work with Walgreens um, in, in London a, as well, and all shortlists, shortlists in the UK, um, you know, they feature at least one woman. Um, in the US, um, they've gone a step further where our shortlists usually typically feature one woman and one person of color as well. So um, it's great to see companies um, really taking strong stances on, on this as well. So we can help flex and we're, we're kind of seeing the proof in the pudding as well. Yeah, Are you, have you seen any um, focus on disabled employees? People push to have greater representation when DEI? Uh, yeah, I personally have, have not placed um, but that is, that, that would be wonderful. That would, that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. I had a, um, uh, I was in a meeting recently with my arts Commons group and we got to meet with LaVita Turner, who's the new chief diversity officer at the Metropolitan Museum. And she, I'm paraphrasing, but she said that, uh, she would like the, uh, legacy of her tenure there in that role one day to be that, um, everyone, um, approaches his or her work with a DE&I lens. And I think that that's probably, I share mm -hmm. that. Right, this doesn't go away. Um, yeah. It's meant to be empowering and inclusive. Um, I do wonder, though, um, what do you, thinking about the candidates themselves? What do you say to the straight white male who's forty-five? Do you say keep on trying, or do you say try a new skill? Or, I mean, uh, there are a lot of us, so to speak, um, and we don't want to have people grow bitter or feel that they can't be part of the future growth brand but i would imagine particularly covid you're getting a lot of those cvs unsolicited from those who've sort of been displaced yeah no and toby uh, that opens up a whole other can mm -hmm. fashion is in a very challenged state right now um i i people I, i've heard you know what we're seeing in fashion maybe is it close to the great depression yes um th there's there is there is a crisis, um, fashion and style brands for sure. Um, but there's also a lot of opportunity and a lot of opportunity for the candidates that you just described. Um, you know, I, you can never take away someone's experience. And even that, as you mentioned, that 45 year old white male will have a very, very important role um, at, at a company. And I think COVID, this past year has highlighted the importance of experience um, despite age to be absolutely paramount mm -hmm. for sure. So yeah. I would say to continue <laughs> specializing um, and uh, I, I do not foresee any problems. I mean, experience is very, very important right now. Yeah, you know, um, I'm thinking of my own husband, Harlan, who you've worked with, who you know, career fashion retail guy and now for three years has been running business development for the fashion division of jd.com the chinese e-commerce giant so mm -hmm. uh he, he you know here's a cowboy from south texas who's now with the third largest internet company in the world helping bring western fashion brands onto the platform so yeah 
Um, it does, it is, I think you're right. It, it is beholden, we are required to try and think about new ways of presenting ourselves, new ways of doing things and just keep strong and keep at it. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay with us after this break and we'll be right back. Again, ladies and gentlemen, today on The Caring Economy, we're honored to have Christina Feraldanka, who is a partner at HI Executive Consulting. She leads the consumer and retail practice area there for North America and uh, has this fantastic sort of broad view of the state of recruitment. Christina, I wonder if you might talk a bit about the evolution of recruitment during your tenure. Um, and I'm also particularly interested in the role of LinkedIn. Um, so when you started, you said earlier, there was no LinkedIn, now there is. Um, has the practice changed in significant ways because of technology or other reasons, or is it still the same fundamentals? <laughs> That's a great question, Toby. Um, and I think that is a common uh, assumption. Well, I don't need to use an executive search firm. We have LinkedIn. Um, no amount of AI uh, technology can replace the, the, hum the human element. Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe that we are true connectors and networks and, and, and networkers. Mm -hmm. So while LinkedIn is a great tool for sourcing, building a pipeline, getting ideas, LinkedIn is excellent and feel very, very fortunate to have it. Um, I have to say when I think back at recent placements, they did not come uh, directly from LinkedIn. They had mm -hmm. actually come from a referral of a referral of referral and people that we've actually have built relationships with. Mm -hmm. You know, when, I, when we begin a search, we always think, okay, so I'm working on a head of global sales for, uh, for a luxury jewelry company, as an example. You know, before we start the search, our team will say, okay, who do we know in this space that would be great sources? Who are the top 10 people that we can reach out to and, and get their ideas from? So I think it's really important as well. While LinkedIn is a great supplement and a great tool, um, the, po the power of executive search in our networks is incredible and something that uh, LinkedIn can't quite match, but it's a, but it's a great tool. So yeah. not taking away from it at all. And something that I use every day to stay in touch with people um, as well. So. And it seems to me that the cast of characters changed a bit in my career. You definitely see more women, um, people of color in executive search, right? I mean, when I was starting out, it was mostly not that. And now it feels much more representative. It does feel that way, and that's and that's what I've seen as well. And even when I began in search, it seemed to be more male dominated, and that is definitely changing as as well, which is which is really nice to see. So, mm -hmm. we have to practice what we preach as as well, and we mm -hmm. and we have been doing that. Uh, so, absolutely. I also I know that um, you know typically with search you're dealing with more senior candidates and positions. Uh, Christina, a final uh, question for you about the role of business in society, which is the topic of the caring economy, both the book and this podcast. Um, philosophically, I guess, what do you what do you think is the role of business in society on these larger issues, from climate to COVID to social justice to fill in the blank? 
Yeah, no, that's that's a great a great big question, Toby. And companies have a huge responsibility, um, for sure. And I think the COVID crisis is really interesting, right? Um, and what we've seen through COVID is an acceleration of a lot of the trends um, that were already underway. So whether it be digital, sustainability, athleisure, um, these are all trends that we've been seeing before the crisis, um, but they've been amplified in a big way from companies, especially sustainability in diversity. Um, and I'm really excited to see going forward. Um, I don't know if it's gonna be like the roaring 20s again, um, but I think a lot of customers, especially the younger customers are going to want to buy more, but with sustainability in mind mm -hmm. and, and companies know this. And I do believe that they also feel that they have an important role in driving this change and working to be more sustainable. Um, we've seen it from uh, heritage luxury companies such as Hermes and, and Gucci um, and what they've been doing um, to be more sustainable. Um, which which has been which has been wonderful. I love especially what Gucci's been doing um, and their plan to track all of their carbon, um, including the indirect emissions from suppliers, um, and even and even partnering with with the real real right a, a, as well. Um, this these are issues that are not going away. Um, and every time I pick up the newspaper, I'm just so happy to see companies doing their part um, to be more sustainable as well. Um, yep. Just this week, I'm sure you saw, but Bill Nye uh, is you know, working with Canada Goose now um, as a sustainability advisor. So the science guy is, is joining Canada Goose. I mean, who would have ever thought of such a, a collaboration, you know, yeah. even five years ago as, as well. Um, and while a lot of brands, I have to say in Europe, maybe have been a little bit ahead, um, you know, also just this week, um, LVMH, their uh, brand Fresh, um, their first U.S. company just joined the Union for Ethical Bio, Bio Trade. And I'm so encouraged to see all of this news every week and companies truly upholding their values um, to be more sustainable and, and, and more diverse as well. Yeah, you know, the CFDA partnership with PVH to um, help increase diversity. It's just really encouraging to see. And I'm so happy that companies are, are taking a stance even on social media, um, like we saw after George Floyd as well. Um, and I, I'm really happy to see companies so intertwined with what's happening on the diversity and sustainability front um, as well. So, um, you know, people really admire and look up to brands and there's a huge emotional connection with them such yeah. as the Hermes, the Gucci, the Canada Gooses, the LVMH brands, um, the, the, loyal, the loyalty, um, you know, is, is there. And so people really want to see that as well. 
the um, I, I mean, I do think, as I've written in The Caring Economy, it's all about leadership, which is where uh, you, Christina Farrell-Banka, and your firm, HI Executive Consulting, come in, right? Because you are recruiting, retaining, and helping develop the talent that leads these brands. And mm-hmm. that really, I think, is the is the probably the most critical piece for a way forward. So I'm so grateful to have had you here today on The Caring Oh, Economy. thank you for having me, Katie. Um, I really enjoyed thoughts. speaking with you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, today we've had Christina Farrell-Donk. She's the partner uh, for leading the consumer and retail practice at HI Executive Consulting. And thank you again, Christina. Have a great day. Thank you, Toby.